I want you to open your Bible with me in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. This morning we were talking uh, and sharing about the love of God, and I felt the Lord uh, just prompt me while I was just resting and thinking what to do tonight. Lots of ways we could go, but I felt to pick up what we'd done this morning and just pick up one particular aspect, be particularly relevant for young people. I've been amazed as I've gone, and, and particularly I noticed in Australia, but not just in Australia, in some of the altar calls had multitudes of young adults coming up with these two problems. Number one was anxiety. And number two, depression. And I, I've pondered, I thought, why is it they've got so much going for them? Why are that that this is a problem. And tonight, I want to help you understand that. I want to talk about overcoming self-hatred, overcoming self-hatred. And this is very, very important scripture, an important teaching for young people. It's actually good for me too. And the reason I want to share it is because God's been talking to me about it too. And so I usually speak out of the things that are revealed, uh, what God has revealed, and I've had to experience in my own life. So let's just have a look. We lay a foundation so you understand what we were going. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17, Paul prays. He said, I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So I love that verse. Strengthen. That means dunamis, supernatural power of the Holy Ghost causing you to become vibrant and alive on the inside. Hey, not depressed and hung up. And it says, notice it's in the inner man. So we all want God to change everything around us. He wants to change you on the inside, on the inner man. The inner man, speaking of your spirit and your heart. So Paul's prayer is that you would be strengthened with the supernatural ability of God in your inner man. And then there'd be many things come of that. Now, the other thing he, he, he talks about straight after that is that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now, we believe that if we've received Jesus Christ, his spirit dwells in us. So he's talking here that as you, as you become strengthened in your inner man through prayer, through praying in the spirit, there is an increased awareness of the presence of God in your life. And then it leads to this, that you being rooted and grounded in love. God wants you to draw from his love. The word rooted means the system that goes underground that a plant draws its life to produce fruit. So the thing that God wants you to become rooted in or draw life from is his personal love for you. It's not just something in your head. It's something to experience and draw from. Therefore, you need revelation. God is a loving God. And so we, we are to become rooted in that. Now, if you watch a tree as it grows, the roots go deeper and deeper and deeper. And when adversity comes, or a dry season or no rain, they go down further looking for water. So in the same way, whatever situation we're in, whether it's a dry season, a difficult season, a hard season, God wants you to extend, not outside, but to extend deeper into his love, to experience no matter what's around me, I am loved. I am rooted enough. Now, a tree that's got strong roots can't be moved by the storm. And the sex, so he's using the image of a plant or a tree growing. That's what you're to be like. And the thing people can't see is you have a relationship with God that's real and you are experiencing, I am loved. I 
am touched constantly by the kindness of God. He is kind to me. He is patient with me. See? And so, so the Bible tells us God is love. So his nature is love. That's who he is. You want to know who God is? God is love. Love expresses itself. How? By accepting people like they are, making people welcome, putting value on people, being kind to people, being patient with people. So that's what God's love is like. He welcomes you no matter what you're going through. He accepts you no matter where you are. He makes you feel, I am drawn into someone who really cares about me. Love produces a warmth, it produces a life inside us. You were made to live in the love of God. You were designed to live in his love and extend his love to others. That's why Jesus said, the great commandment of all is that you love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love and value yourself. So in other words, we need to receive his love so we can extend his love. And, and when you look at your life, every area that love is not extended to people is an area you are, have a deficit of love in your life. Okay. And so the second picture he uses, uh, rooted and grounded. The word grounded there means to, it means the foundation of a building the substructure of the building that makes the building able to stand up. New Zealand, we get earthquakes, of course, so you've got to make sure you have a strong substructure for your building that can stand the shaking. So notice it says, like a plant puts its roots down and a building needs foundations, you need this in your life. You are a building, you are a tree, and you need the love of God, not just once, constantly. And so he says, rooted and grounded in love may know the love of Christ. So it's like this is not just a one-off thing. This is something to live in. Revelation that you are loved. You are welcomed. You are celebrated. You are honored. You are accepted regardless. That's what surprised Jesus' critics because all the people who didn't deserve being loved, he made them welcome. And then he sat them down and ate with them, meaning in their culture, Hebrew culture, he is honoring and valuing people who deserve no value. That's what love looks like. It treats people like God would treat them. How about that? So we're designed for that. Okay, so if we're designed to live in love, then if love is withheld from us, we malfunction. I'll say that again. If we're designed to live and be rooted in love and love is withheld, we malfunction, the tree begins to wither and the building has no stability. We are my, now, so, so I want to look specifically, uh, this morning I talked about the area of hatred. Now I want to talk tonight and focus on one particular form of hatred, which is hatred directed against yourself. And so we define hatred this morning, and uh, uh, when you look it up in the dictionary, you'll find it means hostility. It means to despise. It means uh, to be contrary to or, or to treat like an adversary. It's, it's, it's an, actually an expression of aggression and hostility towards a person. But when we looked at the meaning in the Bible, it adds to it also means to love less or to withhold love or to hold back from loving. So hatred in one extreme can be aggressive and destructive. On the other extreme, it can just show up 
as the withholding of love. Now, in a family, you're born into a family, God's intention is that your parents would represent his love and his nature to you. So if love is withheld from you, then something malfunctions inside you and you begin to wither. Now, I want to just talk about the whole area of hatred. I want you to look with me in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus is talking about the devil, and this is what he says. And he says, uh, you're of your father, the devil. So he's talking to religious people devoid of revelation that God is a loving God. They just put burdens and demands on people. You have to perform to be accepted. And mostly people didn't perform well enough. So mostly people were rejected and despised. Women were despised. People who sinned were despised. And so that was the heart they carried. This is not the heart of God. Judgmentalism, pride, all of those things that hurt people, that's not the heart of God. It misrepresents him. So he said, you're of your father, or in other words, the source of where you come from with all of that religiosity is the devil himself. Because, notice what he says now, he says, you're of your father, uh, the devil. Because he said, if God were your father, you would love me. <laughs> he said, you're of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. A murderer from the beginning. Now, what is a murderer? A murderer is a person who intentionally destroys the life of another. And in 1 John chapter 3, it tells us that when you hate your brother, you are a murderer because intentionally, either by actively abusing them or withholding love, you destroy them. So if you raised in a family and there was violence or abuse or there was uh, uh, hostility, anger, those kinds of things, that's obviously that affects you very deeply because it's not the, 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 the groundwork of love that is needed to form our lives. But also if love is withheld, and one of the major issues we face in our culture is the absence of fathers in the home. The absence of fathers who affirm their children, engage their children, are involved with their children, tell their children, I love you. I was with a group of uh, a thousand teenagers in Singapore. I said, how many of you ever heard your dad say he loved you? Five hands out of a thousand. Five. Never heard words from the one person who could make a difference. I love you. You are of value. I believe in you. I'm with you. I'm going to stand by you to help you make it in life. See? So in the Bible, to be a son was to be a person who built the father's house. In other words, the son was an extension of the father. But we're in a culture where fatherhood has been undermined and, and families have broken down. Fathers have been absent or they've abused their families or they've just not taken responsibility or they're withdrawn from the fight because of the culture of hatred against fatherhood. And the result is a generation rising up and something has been withheld from them. So it's not surprising there's a consequence. Identity issues. Identity comes from a father. So if a father's love is withheld, the young person will struggle with identity. 
If a father's love is withheld, they struggle with confidence. If a father's love is withheld, they struggle with engaging their destiny. So there's a huge problem around that area. Unfortunately, Jesus came to reveal God is a father, and he's our father, and he loves us. Come to reveal. He said, I've come to make him known. So we can, we can take uh, comfort in that. So we see then what hatred is. Now, here's the thing we need to see. Hatred is a spirit then. So remember, God is love. So his spirit is a loving spirit that will speak to you, affirm your value, welcome you, get you up again, encourage you, put life into you. That's the spirit of God. Now, there's another spirit, the spirit of the devil, uh, the spirit of hatred. The spirit of hatred is a contrary spirit. It will also speak to you. Most people in the West don't get that demons talk to them. They don't get that a lot of the times the voice they're listening to is not the voice of God. It's not their own thoughts. It's a demonic spirit, a spirit that hates them. Now, notice what it says. The devil is a murderer. In other words, he hates people. And so uh, his uh, task, his assignment is to bombard our lives with hatred. You look, you just go on the media, you'll find you're exposed to hatred. Get on the television, you're exposed to hatred. You look at a lot of the action movies, many of them have got a theme of revenge, hatred, retaliation. And we draw from it in a weird kind of way because there's something in us is broken and damaged. It won't help us. So people get drawn into games on the internet and they begin to feed on it. They not realize they are feeding on a spirit that talks to them and nurtures them towards hate. And so we're either engaging God in a very personal, real way and being nurtured in love by the Spirit of God, or we engage another spirit and it begins to work to erode us and to change us and conform us to be like that spirit. So the devil hates us. He bombards us constantly with hate. He wants to infect you with hatred. I'll say that again. He wants to infect you with hatred. When you let hatred get in, it is like an infection of the soul. It doesn't stay static. It grows. You become like a zombie without life, like living dead. There's no life. The life that God gives, he's a loving spirit. So we get affected by that thing. So that's, that's what is Simon. That's what he attempts to do. So now you notice then that I said that hatred has a voice. So let's go and have a look in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to see something. Remember when Adam and Eve listened to the devil and then they sinned. And then we read up from verse 7. It says here, then the eyes of them both were opened. They, they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they covered what? They covered their identity. Identity. Before they were open and transparent, now they've got a problem with themselves and they cover themselves to conceal themselves. Then it said, when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, they hid from God. So they not only hid from each other, first of all, they then hid or concealed themselves from God. And the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now look at this. Who told you you were naked what voice have you been listening to the word told means to announce to point out 
to proclaim, to declare. The devil spoke into him, look at you. Look at your condition. You're in trouble. He became afraid of the one who loved him and concealed himself from him. And tonight, there's many people concealing themselves from intimacy with God because of shame that's come around your life. See, what are they here? So what what does the spirit speak like? It, It speaks thoughts into your head like this. I'm useless. I'm not wanted. No one could like me. I'll never make it. I'll never succeed. I'm not good enough. I hate myself. That is the voice of a spirit. And if you will listen and welcome that voice, you are agreeing with someone who hates you and is an intent on murdering you, taking the life, everything that's good from you, stealing your relationships, stealing everything in your life that's positive and of value. This is the conflict we're in. It is a real conflict. No one is spared from it. You have to learn to recognize that voice and resist that voice. Who told you? See? I'm poor, I'm ugly, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. Eh? So you notice there, he was listening to a voice. So the voice he listened to was the voice that told him, now there's something wrong with you. Look at you. And so shame came around his life. Whenever we experience hatred, shame comes around our life. The voice of shame is something is wrong with me. Guilt, I did something wrong, but shame, there's something wrong with me, my identity, who I am. I need to conceal who I am so no one can see me. And that's what causes us to put up a front and image, try to look good, and inside, we're crying. But on the outside, praise God. You know, it could be a religious thing. It could be all kinds of things. But inside, it's what's inside you that counts. What are the voices you're listening to? What have you come into agreement with? See? So, uh, so, so there's some context. So, so people, when people hate themselves, well, well, they hate all kinds of things. I hate my body. I wish I was like someone else. See, I hate who I am. I hate what I look like. I hate my weakness. I hate my inability in that area. And of course, when you go to school, you get ridiculed in some of these areas and the hatred is poured on us. It comes directly through spirits. It comes also through the voices of people. Even the withholding. If father withholds love, you begin to think, what's wrong with me? Doesn't he love me? A father abandons the family. What's wrong with you? What did I do wrong? Why did dad abandon me? Is there, some, there must be something wrong with me. That is a spirit hating you. That's a spirit that's putting thoughts into your heart that are lies. And if you receive them, you come into agreement with them. So we can hate our abilities. We can hate our character. We can hate the color of our skin. We can hate our height. We can hate our width. In fact, there's all these kinds of things about ourselves that if you ask the question, is there something you would want to change? Oh, yes, I've got a whole list. In fact, we're arguing with God, why did you make me like this? We're in a contention with God about how he made us, about how we appear, about our lack of this, our lack of that. We look at others, we compare with others, we want to be beautiful like this. And the world puts out a picture of what acceptable looks like. You think, I can never be like that. And so we have all these issues. And what happens is the spirit is tormenting us with hatred. 
You have no value. You are not accepted. Remember, love will accept you, welcome you, honor you, celebrate you in your uniqueness. Hatred will reject you and say, not good enough. Hatred will dishonor you and despise you. See, it's a spirit that puts something that we feel and think about, and if it becomes your meditation, you will agree with it, and you'll give access to the spirit to come around your life. So why is it that we receive those things, or where do they come from? Well, often it's in the home it starts, where parents may reject us, or a father abandons the family, or a mother is involved in something or other, and and we feel brokenhearted, And we struggle then taking the blame. Children tend to personalize everything and they see it as it must be something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. I can never do anything right. Uh, uh, Parental expectations in some families, there are high parental expectations that are unrealistic. In fact, what they want is for you to look good for their sake because they're struggling. And when you can't meet the expectations... Maybe the older brother was great at this and you're just sucking at it. You're just hopeless at it. Now you feel this pressure and expectation. I've got to be like them. And what do you conclude? Something's wrong with me. I just hate what I'm like. So then when people are like that, then they rebel to get away from the pain instead of leaning into God to find an answer. Oh, you're getting quiet on this stuff now. Sometimes we have our own expectations. And of course, you come to church, you get a whole new set. See, see, if there's legalism at all, then you've got this new set of expectations of what you're supposed to be, not to do, have to do, and you start to feel, my God, I'm overwhelmed. I just can't handle it. I'm just not up to it. And the devil will keep heaping the accusation. He is feeding hatred into you so you dishonor and disvalue, devalue yourself. And, of course, that leads us then to try and, to try and handle the pain. We do things that, that create other problems. So when people are abused, inevitably, when people are abused, they consider, I must have done something wrong. There's something wrong with me. Or people have been involved in sexual sin. The most common thing they come up with, I feel ashamed. I'm damaged goods. I feel broken by this. Something is, I just hate myself for saying yes. You understand, we come into agreement with a demon rather than address the problem and come to our Father who loves us. And that's where we need to find the answer. We need to come to our Father who loves us. So what happens or what, what, what happens to people is when we've entertained the spirit of hatred against us and now we come into agreement and start to dislike ourselves. what happens is it works like this, is you dislike or you don't, you, you, you place no value on your feelings. You bury your feelings. You place no value on your desires and dreams because you think they have no value. I have no value, therefore they have no value. So I sometimes ask people, what are the dreams of your heart? And they go, I don't know. Because they've disconnected with their heart and come to hate what is going on in their heart so much. See, you're unique. You're his workmanship created for something unique. You're designed to express God uniquely. Therefore, you can never be compared to anyone in any aspect of your life. You are totally unique. The devil will tell you, he'll compare you and say, well, you don't measure up. 
You're not tall enough. You're too short. You're, not, you're too tall. You're too fat. You're too this, you're too that. Or, and once you receive those things, it will affect you. So what happens when people receive or entertain the spirit of hatred and come into agreement with it, then they suffer. So now I've got to feel better. So now I look for ways to comfort myself. So addictions come. Addictions to alcohol. Addictions to fantasies. Addictions to sex. Addictions to relationship. Addictions to drug. Addictions to work. Addictions to sport addiction to hobbies and if you get into the church now we become addicted to serving and there's nothing wrong with serving but what's driving it is love driving it or is a spirit of hatred pushing you to work so people will affirm you and approve you you're trying to get something only God can give you will then be using people to meet your need so it comes up in relationships where people uh, then become either insensitive to others or alternatively they try to rescue others and pick up responsibilities that are not theirs. Or we start to find we become depressed. Depression is because many reasons, but one of them is because we have no value on ourselves, and we've started to despair. It'll ever change. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. You think of Elijah. Elijah's a great man of God. But you know what happened? A spirit of hate came against him. Jezebel came and she said, I'm going to kill you. That's a spirit of hate. And when he entertained it, fear came around his life. And instead of overcoming it, he came into agreement with it and drew away from the call of God. He ends up under a tree. I am down. What's the use? Uh, life isn't worth living. I'm like, Just kill me now, Lord. You understand there's a pathway down into that place of suicide and we've got epidemic areas of suicide in our nation and our own area but it all comes down I think it goes into the home to the lack of fathering the lack of stable parents the lack of loving nurture and discipline and structure to help people succeed in life and without it we feel neglected we feel something's wrong with me we start to entertain the spirit of hate and so that's what causes so many problems people struggle with. And we need to be free of those things. Amen? Need to be free. Now, in Luke chapter 13, there is a woman in the church. Now, I like the story. The Bible says she had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and she was literally doubled up and bowed down completely like that. Her face is looking at the ground. Now, that, you can't walk easily like that. Your whole life is affected. She was in a state, and the Bible said she could not or had no power to overcome what had come against her. This is very much a picture of people who have allowed spirits to come around their life and oppress them, and instead of living the life God called them to, they're bowed down, hating themselves, wishing they could be someone else, unable to enjoy love and relationship, unable to fully express who they are. God wants to set you free. This is what Jesus did. He called the woman to himself. The key to breaking out of the spirit is to come to the one who loves you. You have a father who loves you. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you've experienced, you have a father who loves you. Jesus came to reveal the father is a loving father. He came to touch people. Who You think of all the stories of Jesus, you find he embodied what God is like as a father. So when a leper comes to him and runs down, he's, the Bible says he's in an advanced state of leprosy, meaning he's in decay and he smells. His ears have fallen off. His fingers have fallen off. I've seen lepers in advanced decay. It is an ugly sight. 
and they had to go saying, unclean, unclean, no one could come near them. He came and cried out, Lord, if you want to, you can heal me. And the question is, does God want to heal you? He does because he loves you. Jesus, it says, he was moved with compassion. Compassion is, a, is what God is like. The Bible says his nature is full of compassion. So Jesus moved with compassion. That means he felt touched by the pain and anguish of the person. And he reached out and did something unusual. Before he healed him, he touched him. He connected to a lonely, broken person who hated himself, watched himself disintegrating, had separated from all relationships, and his deepest core pain is he's alone in a, in a world that's decaying. And Jesus touched him and healed him. He wants to do this for you. This area of your heart that has been broken, if you come into agreement with hatred against yourself, very soon many other things will come. You will struggle with rejection. You'll struggle with fear. You'll struggle with poverty. You'll struggle in every area of your life because the devil doesn't start with one thing. He has a plan, destroy everything. So how can I break out? The number one thing is to recognize what's happened and come to the one who loves you and wants you free. God so loved you, he sacrificed his very best so you could be set free. He loves you. He loves you deeply. No matter what the world has said or anyone has said, you are valuable. If I had a $100 note and I screwed it up and crinkled it up, then I rubbed it in the dirt, put it on the ground, stamped all over it, it's still a $100 note. It may be crumpled and spoiled and dirtied, but it's still intrinsically got its value. You still have value to God. No matter what life has done to you, no matter what the enemy has said to you, the truth is this. You are precious to God. So valuable, he would pay the highest price to set you free. Whatever's come around you, he's willing to take it off you. But there's some steps to it. The first, of course, is we come to the Lord. We need to come to him. We need to recognize that we're struggling with something. You see, that woman who was bowed down, she knew exactly what was wrong. And when he invited her, even though it was difficult, she came to him. The first step to all healing, all change, is recognize this is the problem I'm facing. The second is we need to open up and grieve over what we're suffering. You've got to let the grief come up. Or we've done all our life trying to hold it down. We need to let God in and just grieve. I have suffered. I have been hurt. Jesus came to die for our griefs and sorrows. We need to allow him to have access to the pain. The pain of being rejected, the pain of being betrayed, the pain of being abused, the pain of being ridiculed. I think some of my greatest areas I struggle with was the ridicule at school. It lasts forever until its power is broken because a spirit of hate lies behind it. The experience of being ridiculed when I suffered as a young boy in my first year at school, I had ringworm and they took off all my hair and I was there as a, now today, of course, bald's beautiful, you know, you know, but not then. It was weird and I became a source of ridicule. I needed the Lord 
to heal the pain of the ridicule and my agreement, no one could love me. See, so you need to come and bring the pain. There is a need to forgive. Always when there's hatred launched against us, it comes through someone. They said something, did something, or withheld something. We need to be forgiving from the heart. You let it go. To forgive from the heart, you acknowledge the pain. This is what I'm letting go. So that sets us free. Then we resist or break our agreement. If you've been listening to voices, I hate myself, you need to break your agreement with that word. That word represents a spirit speaking. You've got to break your agreement with it. You've got to just declare straight out, I refuse that lie. I reject that thought. I reject the spirit behind it. See? Then finally, we need to nurture or, or develop our heart in the love of God. Now, no one can do it for you. So there are some things you can do to nurture your heart so you grow in love. No one can do it for you. Coming into a meeting, you can experience the presence of God. Engage and let God touch your heart. Let the tears flow, whatever. Receive his love. Practice coming into his presence and receiving his love. Secondly, meditate on truth of the love of God for you. Take a picture from scripture like the prodigal son and meditate and dwell on it and see that's me. Take the picture of the leper, that's me. Unloved by everyone, hated by everyone, but God loves me. And as I look into his eyes, I see compassion. So you need to meditate. You need to make the meditation of your heart. You're agreeing with God, not agreeing with demonic lies. You have to be intentional about it. It's called taking your thoughts captive. It's called renewing your mind. We also need to become part of a group where we can receive love from people. We just need others to love us, to say, I'm with you. It's okay. I care about you. Hey, we're with you. We're on the journey. If you've got a need, let us help you. Some people, they want to help everyone else. They don't want to receive for themselves. That's a big problem. We need to receive from others as well. So this is the process of breaking out of that spirit. It came in through a variety of circumstances. I need to then acknowledge the pain and forgive the people and let the Lord come into that place in my heart. I break agreement with that spirit and I start to agree with God. God, I am loved by you. I am your workmanship. You could take a scripture like this out of Jeremiah 31.3. This is what God says to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In other words, in all time, I have always loved you. When you were failing, when you had this going wrong, I still loved you. And now with loving kindness, have I attracted and drawn you to me? It's the love of God draws us to him. It's the love of God in you that will draw other people to him as well. So with loving kindness have I attracted you. You know that the Bible says it identifies what is the most attractive quality in a man. It's not his muscles or his car or his money or his legs or anything. It says what is to be desired in a man is loving kindness. Why? Because loving kindness is what God is like. And when that man becomes a father, loving kindness will flow in his family. Everyone will feel God is here. Listen, tonight God wants to touch you. Would you let him do that? Would you let him touch your life? 
How many know God was speaking to you tonight? That you've been agreeing with some things, actually with a spirit that's hated you. And it's time to acknowledge that and break free of it. We're going to have an opportunity for ministry just shortly. And I want you just to think, what is it that God is wanting to touch in my life? I'm going to open up that place of pain and let him in and forgive and start the journey of nurturing my life and becoming deeper rooted in the love of God. Amen? Amen. God bless.